It's a great pleasure to be here with you for a wonderful sunny day here in New York. We have got Melissa Chen, Paul Rossi back with us. For those who do not know Paul Rossi, he is a math teacher, a writer at Legal Insurrection, New York Post, Wall Street Journal Opinion, and ChalkboardHeresy.com. And we have the wonderful Melissa Chen, contributing editor to The Spectator, uh, a uh, member of the... Uh, uh, FAIR, the uh, Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, one of my most favorite organizations of all time. I think you guys are doing incredible work, and uh, please keep doing it. But uh, today, and of course, the great Giovanni Penichetti joining us. No fest today. Shame on you, Gio. I want to see the well, fest. It's, seri- it's more serious. Yes, yes. No, I, I think fests are pretty serious. But anyway, what I want to what I want to get to today in terms of East versus West is. Uh, First, have a comparison in terms of the level of education and uh, brainwashing, if you could say, in terms of the brainwashing of critical race theory and gender theory in the United States versus the brainwashing of the triple CP of the Chinese Communist Party with their, I mean, I don't even call it communism. I think it's a lot more fascism, personally, uh, you know, loyalty to the government, regardless of what it does. And then finally, compare that to the rest of Asia. So we're talking like Singapore, where you were originally from, Melissa, Vietnam, Japan, South Korea. It seems like these places have a mix of uh, traditionalism and uh, Western liberalism. So I would basically like to compare these three educational systems, uh, first off, just so we get an idea of what the next generation of kids are going to be uh, into in these systems. So... I would actually want to get started first with uh, Paul to talk a little bit about the uh, system you've encountered because you were a part of the establishment education institution. And for those who do not know, can you please talk a little bit about what happened to you and then where you see the educational system uh, going? And everybody subscribe and like. Add a like. That's good for the algorithm. Anyway, go for it, Paul. Sure. Um, My story is, like many others, a story of cancellation of being uh, put in a situation where I had to object. I felt I had to object and I did. And I wound up parting ways with my employer, uh, which was a very, you know, an elite private school in New York called Grace Church School. And um, so much of what I saw over the, the years leading up to my my leaving were just an increasingly increasing ratchet of of um, wokeified DEIs, you know, however you want to describe it, critical social justice, uh, really affecting the culture of the place and uh, and constricting the sort of intellectual, um, I want to say, culture, uh, essentially, of the uh, of what grace was. Um, and having a lot of psychological uh, effects on the kids. And so um, I felt my inner, uh, can I say, white knight activated, um, but also not just for the white students, but for all the students, because um, I think it's I think it's ter- terrible to uh, teach the kids that they're oppressed and that they can expect to be oppressed in their futures, and that will limit them in the same way that it is to teach kids that they're oppressors when, they, when they're not. Um, so when I objected to uh, 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 some of the content um, some of the most egregious and anti-scholarly content, episode namely of- the white supremacy culture uh, stuff, which I think many of you have seen, uh, led to me being scapegoated and then leaving the school. So, but there was nothing unique about this in terms of grace. It's everywhere. It's in public. It's in private. Um, 
So I think we can talk pretty broadly about its influence on the country and uh, prospects for the United States and there, its competitiveness in the world and it's the possibility. And I think it already is starting to influence here. I'm not an expert in, in this. It's hard for me to make a, a comparison. But I, you know, I hear from friends of mine, friend in Vietnam, friend in, uh, in Korea, that it is, it is impacting culture there. It's starting to mm-hmm. gain entrance mm-hmm. there. Um, and maybe, you know, so we could talk more about that. But um, I see, you know, the, the big picture is really one of, of uh, sort of a matter difference of degree in terms of education. And I don't know terribly much about education in the, in the, uh, in the East, but you will now. I I will now. And I'm, I'm willing to learn. I'm interested. Um, but I think that they, they have their own challenges there as well. I think that they, you may, may think of them as being more competitive in, in comparison, but also I'm sure they have things that they struggle with too. And we can talk about those. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, particularly, Melissa, I would be very interested to know about your uh, upbringing in uh, Singapore. I also know you're a fan of wrestling, WWE, which I'm uh, very uh, happy about uh, to have found out. But uh, anyway, you always said that you are kind of a weird person, relatively uh, speaking, which is why you like the U.S., because there's a lot of very weird people here that uh, you feel uh, simpatico with, you know, more so than England, I guess. But speaking of England, before you go, I just want to make an announcement. We are going to have an English gentleman uh, coming into the stream later on in the second hour who is currently in Shanghai in full lockdown, and he is going to be sharing with us uh, some of the uh, wonderful food that the Chinese government has so, uh, you know, uh, he's wonderfully... He's not Nick Land, though. He's he is not Nick Chad, Land, yes. He's not Nick Land. Yeah, the Nick has not landed. So anyway, Melissa, go ahead. Uh, please let us know about the education system uh, in your experience as well as how you see it going in uh, East Asia. So, um, well, thank you guys for having me. I actually think it's a huge coincidence that all of us, all four of us, are currently in New York City right now as we speak. We're just well, not in the same room. <laughs> not not oh, Geo. Geo's in Canada. I'm a few. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't know that. Sorry, Geo. Yeah. I'm six hours okay. away, so. But, but a majority of us are actually in New York City, mm. which is interesting. Um, but we're not in the same room. So, yeah, I, I grew up in Singapore and I was educated there till, you know, right after. It, Singapore follows the uh, British system. And so it, it has the GCE O levels, A levels, uh, just like many Commonwealth countries. Um, but it's modified. Um, and, and I only came to the United States for tertiary education, so for university. And it's something that I had planned my entire life to do partly because uh, I felt education was very rote, very rigid. Um, and I was very alarmed because imagine going through, you know, um, all the way from primary school, all the way till high school, end of high school, not ever doing humanities. Um, I was fast tracked in science and math. You know, they kind of pick you very early um, and is very uh, path dependent. What you get to study when you were 14 depended on how well you did an exam when you were 12. What you did when you were 12 depended on how well you did when you were nine. So, so the success is kind of uh, woven into the, the path dependency and it determines, it further and further constrains your possible choices. So, you, you know, for example, I'll just give you an example. I was talking to a, a cousin of mine who's about to start university in Singapore. Um, he's actually from Shanghai. And, and he came to Singapore to, to study. And he said to me, you know, oh, I really want to study uh, political science. It's my passion, but I can't. And I was like, 
what do you mean you can't? You just choose your major. He's like, no, my grades weren't good enough. And so the grades from his previous schooling determines what's available to him. And I think that's actually my, you know, for me, what, what felt very stifling about the education system in, in, in Asia and, um, and why I wanted to escape it, right? I wanted a blank, I wanted a blank slate. I wanted to be able to pick whatever I wanted. And, and you know, the best thing about the US or the worst as we are about to see is that when I got here, I realized I could pick my own major. Like, you know, when I got to school and people were like, well, you know, I'm interested in this thing, but it doesn't really exist yet. Why not you just create your own major? And so I was the first person in my university to graduate with a degree in quantitative biology. It didn't exist as a degree. I just kind of a la carte made something up. But the very same thing that allows you to do that also allows a university to come up with stuff like gender studies yeah. and lesbian you know, dance whatever. therapy. Or, yeah, interpretive dance, uh, contemporary, you know, dance of racism studies or whatever that is. So it's it's really, it's it's you know, I think this conversation really came up because right now we're in a situation where it's very clear that U.S. education is declining um, in, in many respects. Um, and, and the phenomenon Paul is talking about is, is one of the reasons. Um, if you look globally, though, at, at PISA rankings, right? Just just math. Let's just look at math uh, and, and reading, for example. It's China, Singapore, Macau, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan. You really don't get a Western country till like Estonia or Finland. Um, and even then, it's like the super Nordics. Um, the U.S. is like way, way, way below. But it, in every field, whether it's math, science or reading, it's very consistent. Mm. The top seven countries are exactly what um, Paul was saying is the Asian tigers. Uh, China dominates. China is just number one in producing people that can do, again, do the PISA test really well and rank that way. Um, and so there's very clearly two different models, two, two different ways to approach education. They are increasingly um, opposed to each other. They're antagonistic. They have different cultures. They have different, um, you know, philosophies, right? Like, so we're in a situation now where the U.S. isn't even oriented towards um, educating kids anymore. It's it's a lot of this other other stuff that Paul was talking about, you know, DEI initiatives, uh, other kinds of the, the fact that California is making it a high school graduation requirement to complete a studies in ethnic studies. I mean, it tells you everything because time is finite, right? And and for every hour spent on something like that is an hour not spent in math, not, not an hour spent in something actually, you know, useful for the child. And and this is an issue of, of frankly, you know, think of global competition. Like uh, these graduates here in the U.S. are going to go head to head in the global job market with graduates from China, Singapore, Hong Kong that are dominating PISA. So it's something that we really should. I'm glad we're having this conversation because you know, I, I think it's contrasting two different approaches and we're going to get answers really soon. And <laughs> I think it's important to start um, to start mm. debating. Well, I want to throw in I want to throw in the elephant in the room question right now. Just figure I would uh, just bring it up and let the pieces fall where they may. So uh, in your um, in your conversation with Joe Rogan, you mentioned that China is playing the long game. 
And while it can be argued that it's playing the long game for survival as the party, as the Communist Party, instead of for the people, uh, there are more reactionary people out there online who think that the West has given up uh, playing the long game entirely, and they think that there is a decline in the West that they blame liberal values as uh, unearthing and opening the door for, not just for wokeness, but also for a lack of community and tradition, you know, destruction yeah. of social cohesion, uh, so, this, uh, you know, so society would not be able to keep afloat. So would you say there is any truth to this framing? Because this is a direct attack on liberalism itself, on the system that allows, for example, you to go out and uh, forge your own path here. So, uh, yeah, let me know what you think. And then Paul as well. You know, I, I think this is a correlation causation issue, right? We're, we're seeing kind of liberalism blossom and we kind of didn't know how to put the brakes on it. And the question is whether or not the, the libs of TikTok phenomenon is a direct result of liberalism. Is, is liberalism something where if you push a little domino, it's going to go all the way and it, it just, you know, it, it just cannot stop itself. There are no gates on it. Um, and, you know, even the issue about um, uh, what, what you just mentioned about this, like, lack of cohesion and, and um, that, that liberalism fails to provide that, I actually think it's a very compelling um, answer. Um, there's a reason why I, I'm sure, you know, most people have heard about it. There's a term called, uh, that is in Chinese, it's called bai zuo. Literally, mm. it means white left. Mm. Yeah. yeah, white lefties. And it's um, it's a very interesting term because when Trump first took power, that was very, very popular among Chinese. Like Chinese, the Chinese people were actually very, very pro-Trump in, initially until, you know, he kind of turned on them and, and, and started the trade war and, and, you know, more nationalistic kind of uh, uh, speech came out of his mouth. Um, but the, the idea of this like Baizhuo is kind of... Um, it refers to how soft the West is, uh, like, like progressives in general, and that, you know, by kind of paying so much lip service to multiculturalism and inclusivity and, equi and equality, um, that, that they were pursuing these virtue signaling um, kind of objectives um, and not doing the things necessary for the success of their country um, for national interests. And it's, it's actually, you know, it's, it's very easy to see why. I mean, if you look at just a simple narrative that has clearly gone awry, um, Black Lives Matter um, directly leads to this idea of defunding the police, uh, kind of, you know, reducing the morale of our own policemen. And, and, you know, we are now living two years later in the result, direct result of, of demoralized police departments, defunded police departments. And we're paying for it. We are actually paying for it in, our, in terms of our crime rates. They are off the charts. They are, they are higher than they've ever been in the last you know, couple of years. And, and it's, it's a direct result from these soft virtue signaling, you know, just ideas. And, and it's led to really us shooting ourselves in the foot in terms of good governance, in terms of outcomes. And, and it's hard to argue that that Baitua um, is not a real phenomenon because it, it certainly, it certainly seems like it is. But uh, would you say that uh, before I get to Paul, would you say that the system of liberalism by liberalism, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. The way that I define it, which I think is the correct uh, way of looking at it, is that it is a political system where there is a separation of powers, where there's no kind of dictator telling you what to do and when to do it. That is a system that I favor. 
but I see all the pe all the people when they point to things like you were saying right now with all this uh, well crap that a lot of this is illiberal. It is the opposite of liberalism. It is uh, somebody else having power over you to a certain extent. So my question is always, I bring this up on BTR all the time, you could say this is kind of like the theme of the show, is can liberalism, in terms of the system that uh, we have enjoyed here in the U.S., can it be saved from these illiberal tendencies? And if so, how? Because it almost seems like the model that China's uh, working on right now, you have people in the far left who want to adopt it for one reason, and people who are on the far right who want to adopt a version of it for another. It almost seems like liberalism is beset on all sides. So, Melissa, I'm curious where you stand, and then I would love to get Paul's take on this as well. I, I hope liberalism can be saved because that is my preferred, you know, mode of, of uh, living. I think egalitarianism, individual rights, guaranteeing those rights, safeguarding it. Um, I mean, this is a direct extension of, of the Enlightenment. And I'm a very strong believer that the Enlightenment project has brought the greatest advances um, in quality of life, in human flourishing, and that any step away from that is bad. And so this is why I'm actually a criti critic of, of wokeness. I think it's a step back from very basic enlightenment values, whether it's granting due process, um, you know, whether it is uh, not, not subsuming the individual or like subjugating it to some sort of group level collectivist identity politics. Um, I think these principles are very important for a free, fair society that, that that guarantees the rights of, of everybody. And if you especially care about minority rights, I have never understood why progressives in this country, instead of singing the tune of the United States and the fact that it is the most progressive country in the world, end up kind of making excuses, uh, apologizing for the US and, and kind of like seeing the, the rest of the world that has more melanin that are more oppressed in a way um, as upholding them, upholding their, you know, their um, approach to governance, because this is completely counterintuitive. So I, I have to hope that it can be safe. But I think we have to also be very aware of what liberalism gets wrong. Right. And I think a lot of it is kind of put on the back of neoliberalism. I think that word is now completely <laughs> destroyed um, reputationally um, and for, for good reason. Right. So, you know, we were not careful. We, we weren't honest about discussing the drawbacks of globalization. I think that that globalization, you know, had had kind of enriched the uh, global elite class at the same time at the expense of middle class. And so you have nationalistic tendencies now And China, you know, is is one of, you know, in terms of education, they start their very nationalistic orient, oriented education from like from birth, from practically birth the the narratives you're you're told as a, as a you know chinese student how the west had humiliated you stories of oppression and this idea that it is time to to take back take back the country um and and the reason for for the rise of nationalism is because liberalism failed to to honestly provide that to honestly provide or, or, or even discuss issues like borders, uh, sovereignty, what makes a country, what are American values? We kind of went overboard, you know, deriding our own values. And I mean, how can a country survive when its own elites are so self-loathing? 
Mm. Well, there is also the deification of the individual that Jay Lewis in the chat mentioned right now that I do want to get into as well. I don't think it's as simple as Jay Lewis may have it. Uh, but, uh, Paul, what do you think? Well, there's a lot there. Um, I, I think it's interesting, Melissa, brought up humiliation because if, when you think about um, you know, every it's really the the dark psyche of nationalism is humiliation, and and you know nations are born out of a sense of their own humiliation and 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 overcoming that or imagining that it can be overcome, and it's always there. It's always a sore spot, and it leads to wars basically. Um, and when I think you know you think about China, you think about the history of China, and that just de centuries of humiliation really. Um, and their struggle to come out of that and watching those Asian tigers, you know, rising around them. And really now they've, they are sort of, I guess, more of the dragon at this point where, uh, they are able to, and, and I don't, I think it's maybe oversimplifying it to say that they're as socially cohesive as they may seem. Um, but they're able to coordinate their, their political, at least the communist party within the system, their political and economic might in such a way that is unthinkable or impossible within the aegis of liberalism that we have in the United States. Uh, and that makes it um, very, very difficult to think of America as, as really being able to compete with that in its current incarnation. We are a deeply discombobulated society uh, and liberalism itself um, is, I don't see that as a culture. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's mm. kind of a culture, but it was sort of it's it's a sort of a culture that's about negotiating between cultures rather than yeah. an yeah. intrinsic culture and it's and it's a habit it's a good habit to have and i i strongly mm. and it's a heuristic and it's a way of looking at the world it's a, it's a it's a orientation towards human differences and i think it's the best that we have mm -hmm. however it was born like a flower out of the roots which were uh very culturally their cultural soil, things like medieval culture, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment just didn't happen. Um, it, it found its footing mm -hmm. in a, out of something which is um, essentially a religious tradition, I think. It created that, that sort of feeling um, of oneness and togetherness and belonging and all those things that seem ineffable, which have led to this kind of moral, You're a scholar. This outrageous moral appetite that the West has right now, where we think that we know what's best for everyone, mm -hmm. and we we're, you have these people that are measuring uh, society, you know, society, our society from the perfect, um, when in fact, you know, no society has ever been perfect, and there's just so much going on there that I, but I think that uh, America, the United States, or the West in general, really has to get back to a thinking of its cultural roots, its sense of itself, uh, its its definitional uh, roots, I suppose, at, which would be available to everyone, right? It's not an ethnic nationalist argument. Um, but starting from that and really getting a little more humble about their moral, uh, moral imperatives, right? We live in a great power world. We live in a, in a real yeah. politic world. And, you know, we need to think about that so that's kind of my thoughts on it. So I think I think we forgot, like I think we're, you know we're we're recently reminded that we do, because um, right after the end of history, it just seemed like the uh, post World War 
liberal world order was kind of the status quo. And, you know, like you said, it was a lot of hubris. Um, but but the, Rus the recent Russian invasion of, of Ukraine, I think, is reminding people, yes, this is still a world of great power politics. And, you know, kind of seeing how the chess pieces are, are, are falling, are, are aligning China, Russia, yeah. Iran, North Korea, we're reminded again, okay, you know, this is totally, you know, now spheres of influence and all this states that are caught in between are going to have to have to pick and choose. Um, on the topic of humiliation, I will say, though, that, you know, while China drives this home a lot, they are not honest with themselves about the source of humiliation. They, they only exclusively blame the West for the, you know, the British, uh, the revert, the opium, opium war. Yeah, yeah. The, the Japanese, the rape of Nanking, all of it is just external. China never admits one of the greatest sources of its humiliation is Mao Zedong. And Mao is till today revered as this figure, um, unassailable, his pictures everywhere. Um, you know, the children study Mao Zedong thought and, and worship this guy. Um, Xi Jinping is seen as a reincarnation of Mao. And, and they're not honest about why, you know, people are always like, well, yeah, but China pulled so many people out of, uh, billions of people out of uh, poverty. Isn't that an amazing feat? I'm like, yeah, but why were they in poverty in the first place? Mm. You know, and, and it's it's one of those things where their nation does not honestly address um, why they are where they are. And and it, it, they've created almost a completely false narrative, uh, nationalistic false narrative. And you compare, compare and contrast with the United States, where we're also creating false narratives, 1619 Project, for example. Mm. We're doing the complete opposite. Instead of like putting our country on a pedestal, we're, we're doing the complete opposite. We're, we're shitting mm. on it. Um, and I'm like... I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, you know, like between this East and West approach yes. to, right? Like it has to be somewhere in the middle and we've, we've lost that. We've, but we've people hate the middle. That's the other problem here, Melissa, is that people hate being in the middle. They want to choose a side. They want to choose a stri uh, tribe and a, they want to stick to it. And in that way, maintaining a kind of liberal system is incredibly hard. It's very taxing. It's a lot easier to just give up and just go to one yeah. side or the other. But there is an interesting thing. I want to get to Gio's well, but there is an interesting thing that I want to ask you. There was an interview that I uh, heard with uh, uh, Michael Schumann, who's a veteran journalist of East Asian Studies, and uh, he was on with Andrew Sullivan, and uh, they were talking about Confucianism. One of the things that he mentioned is that in Confucianism, the loyalty is primarily towards the father, so much so that if the father were to betray the government, the loyalty to the son, let's say, would still be to the father, not to the government. So the son would be obligated under Confucianism to betray the government for the sake of his father, as opposed to what's happening right now. So would you say that the kind of system maybe post-Mao and currently in place is one that has skewed certain Confucian ideals for its own favor? And do you think some like that along with something like mandate of heaven will bite it in the ass afterwards uh you know in, the, in a couple of years the kind of structure they've set up for themselves i think it's already starting to to bite them in the ass because you you know i think china showed its hand a little too early um they were playing this game of hiding hiding their strength kind of biding their time and for whatever reason COVID threw them off it seems uh c has kind of shown his hand a little too early and, and has appeared to have a very aggressive posture. Um, I, you know, that's, I haven't actually heard that, um, uh, that point about Confucianism uh, and how it's, how it's evolved under current leadership. But, you know, I, 
I, I agree with what Paul was saying about liberalism kind of being insufficient, like necessary, but not sufficient or sufficient, but not necessary. No, the yeah. other way, necessary, but not sufficient in the sense that like it's um, it's 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 great for maintaining some sort of uh, fairness in a multicultural society. And I think it still remains to be seen whether, you know, we repeat all the time this mantra, diversity is strength, diversity is strength. And we don't really ask, well, is it really? Because it seems right now that, you know, closed societies that are ethno eth um, ethnically homogenous currently are able to exploit multicultural diverse societies that are open. Um, and, and there are all these fault lines that, you know, that, that you can press and kind of, you can see the the, tr the beginnings of what will look like a, a civil war, um, and so I'm you know it's one of those mantras that get re gets repeated so often that we hardly question it anymore in the West, um, but in Asia clearly there you know it's not it's not something that's pursued right, mm. um, yeah so I, I and I see that Confucianism is is kind of providing that cultural cement that Paul said was lacking in the West. When you are when you are born in Asian society, there there's certain kind of uh, you're moored you're moored to social obligations that you didn't choose, more to your family you you have you're obliged to to be filial filial piety is a very very big deal, um, like for example like when my 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 dad uh, recently just passed a few months ago and oh, sorry um, no but this is just an example thank yeah. you but uh, my friend of mine you know who I hadn't seen in a while he was we had gone to high school together he came and I was like shocked to see him at the funeral I was like well what are you doing here I hadn't seen this guy in one 10 years and he said to me I came to pay my respects and I was like that's such a weird sentence structure to hear if you are used to growing up in the west what do you mean pay my respect <laughs> like this is respects to what whom mm -hmm. and you realize that there's this sense of like this person is older um, this person is somebody that deserves respect because he's old. There's something inherently conservative about that, about respecting the past, about traditions, about, you know, past wisdoms that we in the West kind of have, you know, total disregard for today. Mm. Um, but when you have this sense of like, I'm born into this family structure, this, uh, you know, this um, particular society, um, there's a sense of duty. And, and I think the problem with liberalism as it exists here in the West is that people feel unmoored without culture, without, without these kind of trappings of, of social moorings, people feel lost. And when people feel lost, they very easily, you know, especially without a religious glue, um, very easily politics becomes the new religion. Oh, yeah. and, and this search for what, you know, what the Greeks call thymos, uh, the, the, the unending human need for dignity, for, for struggle, for sacrifice gets applied in in ways that I think can be very harmful. And I think that's one of, the, you know, one of the reasons why we're seeing this like rise of wokeness um, in America. Mm. Well, then on the other side, this would be a great opportunity for uh, Gio uh, uh, for you to uh, come in here because mm. your perspective, as far as I uh as far as I understand, would be one where liberalism would not be able to exist. We wouldn't be able to save it. We wouldn't be able to return back to the 90s or early 2000s. But like the, the structure, unless I'm mistaken, the, the only structure you see working is one of having an authoritarian control over people to kind of get them to do well, what... what uh, that means. Well, I think Melissa has read Bronjade's mindset, so I don't have to. 
<laughs> oh, you, you got to speak a little louder, by the way. A little louder. Oh, sorry, in the mic. my yeah. mic is. Uh, yeah. I said Melissa probably has red Bronze Age mindset already, so I probably don't have to lay it up. But um, no, I think that uh, when you look at the history of uh, education in the East and West, I mean, it used to be that the Prussian education system was the model in England and then later America. And China had a similar system. Of course, there is sort of a secret influence there uh, for thousands of years um, in terms of standardized education. But as Melissa brought up, the Chinese, they've always had, um, well, Paul and, and Melissa has brought up that they always have sort of, um, I, I would say, yeah, an ethnic resentment because, of course, they're, step, they're noble step warrior neighbors, like the Manchu and the Mongolians were always the ones who generated a sort of vitalistic force as opposed to the quote-unquote Han peasantry. But, of course, now China very much is a homogeneous, not, not a homogeneous society in terms of pure racial characteristics, but certainly in terms of the way the Han Chinese treat their minorities. Um, it is very much a Han-centric culture. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that in the West, especially America, I don't think that it's purely just the free-for-all that people describe. I still think that there is um, the level of tech, uh, technique and technicity and sort of specialization, hyper-specialization, that also comes from what I would say modern-day, quote-unquote, woke education is a perversion of something that is very unique to the, I would say, European spirit or Faustian man and so forth. Traditionally continental European uh, society, both in the South and in Rome and Greco-Roman, and also in the North, especially Prussian, German, so forth. So you had this mix coming from the Greeks of like, well, yes, it's true that there is standardization, but there's also these sort of levels of um, creative endeavors and so forth that has... Uh, been perfected by Europeans, in my opinion. But the problem is nowadays that you can very easily weaponize that towards hyper-specialization, which a lot of, having been in academia, I mean at the master's level, but having been in academia myself, um, it's very much the case that you have to justify your own singular specialized pursuit. So you get a lot of studies departments, as people have noted yeah. on the panel. And so that is a big problem. As to the roots of it, I mean, England... Uh, well, I mean, in some ways, modern-day Britain's worse than us, but in terms of the education system, they still have a bit of that level of creativity, but also specialization. By the time you get to academia, it's kind of free-flowing. Like, you get, you go around lectures here, you go there, maybe you do a mm. PhD, you know. But yeah. when it comes to actually the conditions by which that we are experiencing this, the current sort of, like, you know, libs of TikTok, I do really think that... Um, a lot of the quote-unquote values of the Enlightenment have not directly, of course, because liberalism, again, was a manifestation of the European mind, a specific type of European mind, by the way. Maybe not so much as Mediterraneans, but certainly the German, you know, Prussian, Anglo, obviously Anglo. But the more you get along, the more you see that a lot of these sort of theses when it comes to pedagogy, when it comes to the ways in which society transforms, as soon as you hit the 19th century, as soon as you hit John Dewey, as soon as you hit standardization, then you get sort of like the the sort of predication on the worth of standard, you know, these standardized tests and so forth. Then you also have specialization that sort of guts the original impulse of a well-rounded, robust Faustian education that was very unique to Europeans, by the way. So the reason China can do these things economically in terms of engineering, in terms of great works projects, is because they predicate a specific type of value upon education. 
which I think is very, you know, not not good in another way. Obviously, that's incredibly restricting. But when it comes to America, the reason we're seeing all of these problems is because of and and you know, as Paul brought up, a big part of it is how do you educate a multicultural society that doesn't have now America, unlike where I come from in Canada, does have a national myth. It does have an, a mythos, maybe that is a bit fictitious. Mm. Obviously, American history always is, but it. That I don't think is enough when you're mm. talking about the type of sort of um, university shopping and internationalism mm. and so forth. Well, well being Singapore, I think, uh, uh, to uh, Melissa's upbringing, Singapore was able to get a lot of these different cultures together into one mindset. Right. But that but they required, do have an authoritarian Yeah, that required an iron fist. So that goes back to my original question to Gio, like what exactly would it take? And my my biggest problem with oh, all of this is that one last actually, thing. One oh, last thing. Okay. The Chinese model would not work in America for like obvious reasons. Yeah, you would yeah, need you would need an authoritative culture and an authoritative system, but one that is sort of unique to the original European monoculture of America. I don't. But the thing is, America is probably because of the history with Af African Americans and because of multiculturalism. It's very hard sell towards any mm. sort of mass reform whereas china for years now well even before mao they're accustomed to doing mm. mass societal transformations that we are and i'm not saying it's a good thing like again i'm not one of these weirdo cinephiles on the right that hmm. think you know china china crushed the curve you know and they they did amazing but i do think that there is a benefit to having a command economy and a command education okay. system so there you go mm. but but okay but wouldn't you say that the you do see kind of you know, microcosms of the Chinese model working here. I mean, you see that in the immigrant with within the immigrant, uh, you know, group, right? So you have like there are parts of Los Angeles, for example, where all those signs are still in Chinese. Um, I mean, Paul, you you teach math. You, you you do know that your your students are getting your Chinese students are are going to after after school extra tuition, right? Like they they are. Their parents still value and are forcing their children um, in the same kind of tiger mom. So they're able to use like, you know, their their heritage and, and sort of cultural tools to force this outcome um, where the cultural infrastructure wasn't there. Um, and, and I mean, look at the results, like when you disaggregate American performance, like that piece oh, of ranking, you aggregate yeah. that by, by racial groups, you get very problematic uh, results that, you know, many uh, kind of woke activists completely ignored, don't want to address. And, and actually their way of addressing is through affirmative action, which completely further undermines the meritocratic uh, way. Mm. Well, uh, yeah. oh, oh, oh uh, one other thing I wanted to add to that is, that is the people themselves having a choice of, hey, I'm going to study at this extracurricular thing, uh, you know, with people of my community, and I'm going to get smarter. The issue, I think, arises when you would have a government like in China or any other authoritarian state that, hey, if they mandate this for all the kids, maybe it'll be best for all the kids, you know, like they'll get a lot of uh, learning done. But at the same time, that same leader may mandate other things. They may mandate a social credit system where people would have to mind their P's and Q's on what they are or aren't allowed to say about the uh, ruling government. So that is why I think a very interesting experiment for us to do right now is to uh, think like what elements of the liberal society we're in right now 
can be chipped away at, can be gotten rid of, uh, well, in order in, in order for there to be some, let's say, saving of uh, the kind of system that brought in a lot of success. And if, uh, for example, you don't think anything could be chipped away at, then fine, then we're going to have to defend liberalism, but we're going to have to do a very good job of doing that, because right now I don't think we are. So well, I, I, I think yeah. that the problem itself with education is not so much... Okay, so here's the thing. When it comes to higher education, the, the, the problem with conservatives is that they look at censorship as like this, um, like the way it works kind of on social media where uh, you get kicked off and so forth. It's much more insidious than that. It's more of that they're trying to find people of a certain personality type. The problem, I think, is that even the humanities themselves are being gutted systematically because of the sort of pay-to-play corporatized model of education so you have either people that go into specialization uh go into specialized fields to sort of like engineering the stem fields you know the yeah. stem cells right? <laughs> stem cells um they go into stem because they're very high value degrees they pay well and so forth they go to other degrees that i think shouldn't be encouraged like law that you know who needs more lawyers but people go into <laughs> corporate law to make money that's what it is i know these people being in political science most people that go to political science, they want to go into law after in terms of postgraduate. So the problem is that you have that, but then you also have the quote unquote woke studies courses because it's a business model, because these are people that come from trust fund families that usually come from the coast and they have the ability to sort of waste their time in academia. Now, the problem is that the real sort of humanities that inform a civilization, they're getting systematically destroyed. You can't really, if you want the sort of edgy cutting stuff, for example, in philosophy, which is one of my fields, you have to go to the literature departments and they're not going to teach you systematic ways of philosophy the way that a philosophy department would. But then, of course, the problem in North America is the philosophy departments are almost dying. They're pretty much, yeah. they, they think that they're in the handmaid of science. But when it comes to like the actual system, I think the problem is that people are tiptoeing around the real prop, like the real sort of the crushing blow to the sort of modern liberal project, which is human difference itself. How can you educate people who have such a huge uh, swath of differences, both racially, religiously, culturally, and mm. genetically? And gene I don't, oh, oh, I can't say that, but that is a big problem. I think you can't really take a lot of different people. Now, it used to be that empires such as the British had ways of dealing with this by having sort of, you know, social classes and people that were able to fit. I think the Chinese have a more brutal version of that. Not to say that that's mm. good, but mm. I think that if you have a liberal system that has a total lack of higher social hierarchy and you also have massive amounts of difference, education itself yeah. becomes incredibly mm. difficult. Uh, wait, before we go on further, though, I would argue that having a kind of system where you have a Thomas Sowell, let's say, who would not be allowed in because he's black is completely ludicrous. I would say, though, that having yeah. a liberal system where somebody like Thomas Sowell or anybody, you know, I don't know if, uh, Melissa, you're familiar with Daniel Efrense. He's uh, a young up-and-cover. Well, I'll send you his stuff later on. He's also involved with FAIR. But, um, you know, his uh, parents are from, uh, see, not Trinidad and Tobago, the place right next to it. Uh, I don't remember the name right now. But, uh, Haiti, Haiti. Haiti. Haiti, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, he would never, ever fit in or want to fit in with, uh, unfortunately, a lot of uh, younger people who, you know, come from single motherhood who are, you know, bad parts of the city. You and mean American black slaves? 
Yeah, yeah well, no, 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 because Thomas Sowell is also, in that sense, you know, American no, but, black. But it's that's like, a good, but yeah, that's no, a good no, but there's like cultural. Between like there, yeah, exactly. But there's cultural yeah. differences here. What I'm trying to point to is that I think it would be a liberal system that would differentiate between, like, if you belong to one culture, then you should still be helped out, obviously, but there should be uh, <clears throat> different approaches. Like, you know, we have to make sure that people who are of a certain level regardless of the color of their skin are able to participate in higher you know higher studies and never exclude them well at the same time we have to make sure that we don't have like in europe they have cultural clashes with people coming in from uh these you know very islamic countries and it doesn't really seem that compatible for a lot of europeans recently sweden has admitted to that uh, you know that experiment of there is not really working out although they blame themselves for it not working out but what i'm trying to fig yeah but what i'm trying to figure out here though is how do we make sure that we don't end up in a dictatorial system that would just say, you know, point blank, all of these people, you know, because there's like so many of them that have not measured up, we're just going to ban everybody. We're just going to ban everybody from education. We're going to have this strict hierarchical system because that seems to be the approach that a lot of people, and I'm not picking on you, Gio, but a lot of people who are from more of a reactionary end see that being the solution to a lot of problems. It's just like outright ban anybody who is as close to this, uh, y y you know, kind of person because, you know, maybe there's not as much success going on there and let's just have a very rigid hierarchy so how do we balance this stuff out i don't know like uh melissa would you like to take a shot at this i mean the the rigid hierarchy like i said has its own problems i think you um you know if you kind of spent time around uh, students you know who are educated in one of the one of the distinguishes between eastern and western education is what i call the authority gradient you know so the, the teacher and the student, for example, in a high authority gradient, uh, the teacher has uh, is, is, is right up here and the student is right down there. You don't question the teacher. You, the it flow of information is really just one way. Um, I, I, I don't know if for a teacher that's more fun than the other way, right? Paul is used to teaching in America where the authority- It depends. If you ask me on a Friday, I'd probably tell you I prefer the Chinese- <laughs> by um, Friday, but, but, by you Friday, know, you at my, by Monday to Wednesday, I'm like, yeah, you ask me anything. No. <laughs> yeah, you're like, it's, it, it kind of mirrors parenting styles, too, um, mm. where in Asia, you know, like, what do you mean? like, I remember my roommate, college roommate called her father, like her father, BJ. And I was like, who's BJ? She's like, dad. I'm like, I would get slapped if, if, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I called my, my, my dad by his first name. But, but, you know, the idea is that by, by lowering that gradient, people feel more comfortable asking questions. And you know what? That's great. Um, you know, I've seen the benefits of this lower gradient kind of education when I went to college. There's the fact that I'm like, wait, you can ask questions? Like, this is amazing. And, and you actually learn more. But, but that also, you know, that scene where you saw the Yale students surrounding Nicholas Christakis few years ago when there was this whole brahaha about oh, how yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. that would never happen the the scene where you saw the students accost uh jordan peterson uh, you know about the pronouns about the bill c16 in canada would never happen because you know the the asian mindset is like this is not for me to question i am not to disrespect the teacher I mean, Gordon Klein, so, same thing. well it kind of did think, happen in china though during the culture revolution but that was yeah. No. Well, that's that's kind of the point. That's kind of like the warning sign, yeah. right there. With the red, we have a new uh, legion of red guards right now. That was an illiberal mania. Yeah. One of my one of my professors, um, 
uh, you could look him up. Charles Burton here in Canada. He's a China expert. He worked for the Canadian government. He was there during the Cultural Revolution. He writes for the Global hmm. Mail. He said he he was working with a professor in China who had an um, an under an um, an adjunct who was a student at the time who tortured him. And he still they work together. And he's like, how can you work with a guy that tortured you? As well, you know the Chinese system. That's how it works. He was part of the Revolutionary Guard. Blah blah blah. So it's like crazy, right? But no, wow. that, that that almost that almost like you know what Jordan Peterson went through in U of T. That almost seems like uh, mm. kitty stuff. But right? in order, and, but in order for uh, students to behave that way, which I think is the right way, like trying to treat everybody around you like you would want to be treated in a way, you know, like think of everything as like this higher end organism. That uh, you know, I think it's similar to like Japan, for instance. There is the same kind of mentality that everything around me it must be in harmony. I cannot do something to embarrass yeah. everybody around me. And that is something that I think does come down through a lot of these Confucian values. But the question is now, but the question is like, how do you incorporate that into the West without getting rid of a lot of the things that I think uh, balanced out a lot of the problems that existed in the East? Yeah, I'd like to step in because I think one of the things, um, well, a couple of things. One is that I don't really necessarily believe you need to carve away bits of liberal habits in a in our society in order to get that i think you can do it if you are assertive you have sort of a cultural uh re revival i sense like of who we are uh and have that and have that be inclusive right i hate you know it's a dirty word for me but i'm going to use it um and because that that is what is going to bind and create a shared sort of reconstruct a shared now maybe maybe that maybe that ship has sailed right so I think maybe that is your thought, Gio, that like there's no way we're going to get back to that. We're going to it's going to take something. It's going to take an iron fist of some sort. Um, I'm not I'm not sure that I'm going to just cry havoc and let slip the dogs of totalitarianism. Well, the problem on is this. there is no iron fist. I mean, in terms of right. Who's going to be the iron yeah. fist? Right? It's going to have to be. Maybe Trump, Trump will get be. elected again. That will work. D dark, well. dark MAGA. Hashtag Dark, dark no, MAGA. No, it's dark Ultra MAGA, MAGA okay. now. Ultra, Ultra MAGA. MAGA. Thank you, oh, King Salmonfish. Yeah. Uh, no, but the, but but the that is... You said, yeah, yeah, the thing you said earlier, Melissa, I want to say, you talk about how paying respects. I don't want to make sure that we're not getting too culturalist here because my own background, Italian, right? We, we did that yeah. too, right? That was mm -hmm. part of village life in Europe. But I think that one of the things we, I mean, sort of a class analysis here would be that prosperity uh, makes weaklings of us all. It, it creates, mm. you know, it creates this, this lack of social cohesion and people just, they get, a, they get vulnerable to certain vanities about, you know, how special they are. And then they mm. run off and they, they lose connection. I, I want to push back on this a little bit. There was a very interesting thing I learned recently about how a lot of the uh, rich people in Russia live. This is like pre-revolution. And when I say Russia, you can translate this to England, France, like they all kind of live the same way in that class. Men, not even women, men would spend three hours every day in front of the mirror getting ready, priming themselves like these peacocks to go to the ball. So when we're talking about people wasting time on certain frivolities, I want to make sure we're not in the mentality of saying, oh, well, back in my day, you know. Things no, no. Yeah, but the I Russian mean, Kulak wasn't doing that, Lev. That wasn't. True, but we don't know the life that these people had either. We <clears throat> romanticize it. 
maybe it was so hellish of an existence. Well, didn't they have a revolution? I mean, that that was yeah. what led to that, right? I mean, that, well, that yeah, to me proves my uh, point. Yeah, is that among you, others. You, this, this is not just about the old days being better. This is about in every cycle, there is this decadence that happens, right? And then there's a there's a. But, but Paul, how do you explain? The, but how do you explain like the the Gulf states and you know countries like Singapore, which are by by the metric of at least GDP per capita, extremely prosperous? Well, but, how long have they been prosperous? Yeah, the no, Gulf states. That's a because it's, yeah. it's yeah. there's a, there's that vapor trail, right? Where you you. And then, you know, it takes maybe 50, 100 years before mm. everybody's eating each other. And, and that is an interesting question as far as Lee Kuan Yew. How much did Lee Kuan Yew influence Singapore to the extent that now that Lee Kuan Yew is not there anymore, will the system just be running on his, uh, you know, his power until it runs out? And then would they be able to maintain that same structure? Kind of maybe a similar thing with uh, China, the uh, model that existed post Mao. Maybe yeah. that was only able to last until Xi Jinping came in and started getting full authoritarian because they had uh, somebody there whose name escapes me right now. Melissa, you know who I'm talking about, right? The, uh, the uh, De Deng Xiaoping. Yeah, Deng Xiaoping oh, in there. Yeah. yeah, you had him in the background, even if he wasn't the active ruler for a certain amount of yeah. years. And right I think after. that they're, you know, having the person like that in there helps prop up this kind of system. But unless there is a liberal element to it, the concerns that I always bring up is that you're going to have somebody in charge who other people, kind of like in Russia right now, who other people are going to be the ass kissers of. And as a result, bad news is not going to trail upwards because everybody wants to protect their own hide. And as a result, you're going Going to have a very inflexible kind of system so that is why even if people talk about wanting a dictatorship i think at the end of the day that kind of system is going to fail as well and uh i don't know like that that is the conundrum yeah, no. of modernity well i am all for a dictator as long as it's benevolent you know that's the <laughs> if you if you are so lucky to get a benevolent dictator in life, you have won the lottery. And I think in that sense, Singapore has. Um, but a system cannot be said to be a good system if if all that depends, all everything, the outcomes depend on on just the luck of having a good guy, a good dictator. Right. Like so that's why it's a bad system. But it, it does. And it, you know, it, it has proven as, as much as liberals hate to admit it, that it can actually produce results. And as long as, you know, American society and, and, and Western society in general, you know, the ones fully committed to liberal democracy and now overuse the word democracy uh, are not delivering good governance, people are going to lose faith in the system. And I think globally, you are starting to see that. Mm. Well, we got to fight against that. that. Wait, wait, real quick, though. Sorry, Gio. We have Ted over here uh, who is from Shanghai right now. He is uh, currently under the That's lockdown. Yeah, I, I want to make sure that you guys have a chance to talk before. I know, Melissa, you have to go soon. So real quick, Ted, just tell us about your situation. Melissa, if there's any final questions you would have for Ted. I know it's kind of late, but uh, yeah, uh, go for it, Ted. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, perfect. Fantastic. Okay, so um, obviously I can't uh, I can't speak s too much towards uh, Chinese Chinese politics. There's uh, there's a lot I'd probably quite like to say, but I'm not super well informed, and also I'm very aware of my situation. So um, it is five fifty seven in Shanghai right now, and I'm on day fifty six of lockdown. Um, that's been quite mixed. So we've had um, we had a few. A few days, um, just over a week, where we literally couldn't leave our apartments. Uh, right now, 
Um, we're able to go outside for testing, COVID testing. Um, I've been sneaking out pretty early in the morning to, to walk my dog. But uh, yeah, apart from that, it's been 56 days of, 56 days of lockdown here. Um, it's, uh, it's been an interesting month and a half. Well, Melissa, I, yeah. Any questions? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I really, if I, I really did not understand why this is still happening primarily because it is so, so, so deeply unpopular. Pretty much the rest of the world has given up on it. Um, and, and the, the juxtaposition of all the images coming out now, like, two years well two years into the whole thing it's just it's just shocking and i couldn't help but kind of come to the conclusion that i think you know this is about uh trying to ensure a, a population to breed a very compliant population it's to keep doing this and in a world where you know, there's no real way to express grievances. Uh, it's really just a huge power play and transforming slowly the psychology of uh, a Chinese society that was kind of used to a little bit of liberalization, very gradual, but, you know, very steady. And all of a sudden has taken a turn for, for the worse. Mm. Well, before you go, Melissa, is there anything you would want to ask Ted uh, while uh, you're here, just uh, just to see? Not like... anything. Not anything that he can say publicly. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. Ted is going to be back with us uh, later on, and I hope you will be back as well, Melissa. Thank you so much yeah. uh, for for coming in. And uh, Thank you any, much. anything you would like to plug, by the way, you have an organization I, I think still right now that translates books uh, for the Arabic uh, world. Is oh, that yeah. still going on? Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, we're celebrating our fifth anniversary this year. So, and yeah, what is the name of it? Or where could people fa find this organization? Um, ideasbeyondborders.org. You can check it out. There we go. So, Melissa. Spectator and, uh... Yeah. 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 Well, I have a piece coming out on testosterone and whether or not the lack of it has led to the fall of society. Is it about uh, sending your balls? Oh, <laughs> damn it. I was just about to say. It, it's close. And also, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Well, once again, Melissa, thank you so much for coming in. Everybody, please thank follow you. Melissa Chen. It's so nice uh, to see you, Paul. Great to see you, Melissa. Take care. Take right, care. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. And everybody... Good luck. <laughs> Thanks. And everybody, don't forget to subscribe. If you are enjoying this, don't forget to subscribe to Break the Rules. BreakTheRules.tv is where you go. And be sure to add a like. Adding a like, it is of an incredible help towards the algorithm. You better believe it. So do it right now. Share this video with your friends, so on and so forth. So anyway, Ted, please tell us your story uh, as much as you are able to tell it. As how did you get to Shanghai in the first place? Uh, yeah, go for it. Is there still a lot of British expats there as well? Uh, there was uh, until about 56 days ago. Mm. And, uh, so um, I don't know if people aren't aware or not, but Shanghai, I mean, I've been in China for a few years now, um, but I haven't actually left China since 2019 because of what's been going on. Obviously, it's, it's, it's actually very easy to leave China. If I wanted to, I could probably get on a plane tomorrow if I was really determined to. Um, but then getting back in again would be impossible. And, you know, my, my job is here. I've been here so long. You know, my, my life is here at the moment for now, at least. So um, it is possible to leave. Um, getting back in is the difficult part. 
I uh, moved to Shanghai about nine months ago. And uh, for people who are aware of China, Shanghai is very much the, the very westernized, very liberal, very international city in China. Um, you know, when you, whenever you see pictures of uh, Shanghai, be, uh, sorry, whenever you see pictures of China being super modern and, and lively and everything's bright and happy, they're usually pictures of Shanghai. Um, up until fairly recently, Shanghai was a, a very, very international city, very different from the rest of China in a lot of ways. And a lot of people like myself, expats, are, are drawn to that. Um, especially if you're not here specifically to study Chinese, to study Chinese culture. If you're just here to, to live and work, then Shanghai is usually the place to be. And I, I followed that like a lot of people. And for the first few months, yeah, that was very much true. I had um, had a great life here. Um, more recently, yeah, the, the door, the, yeah, the gates got closed behind me and uh, here I am. Is there any way, by the way, that you can uh, move the camera and just show like the view? I don't know if uh, you could do that or not. Uh, don't ask him that. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, we we had a conversation before. I just wanted to make sure that it's uh, that it's all right. But again, if it's yeah. Well, I mean, I can show you out my window, but all you'll see is a, an apartment block. Ah. Uh. Um, I can show you. Hang on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everybody, please subscribe. I'm very uh, fortunate. I mean, we are very fortunate to have somebody like Ted on right now. Uh, I don't want to push my luck as far as... Ted. Uh, oh, look, look at that. There we go. Yeah, I took that this morning when I was walking my dog. Mm. And, Ted, uh, do you get, can you talk about, about yeah. your, you know, how the general feelings uh, about your neighbors, how, do, uh, you know, how, they're, how they're experiencing this? They are... Um, it, it, it's a difficult comparison to make, but I, and again, I, I don't want to um, minimize how bad it was for, for my grandparents, but I, I have this feeling that it's very similar to the, the British Blitz spirit. I don't know if that's something you've heard of, but um, mm-hmm. in London during yeah. the Second World War, there was very much the community was pulling together. Um, they're very keep calm and carry on here actually um i mean i've i don't think i spoke to my neighbors for the first eight months that i was here but recently and again i think i'm giving i'm giving a lot of credit here where i usually where i might not under other other circumstances but i've actually been quite impressed with the way the the people here are just sort of getting on with it and that's not the case for everybody at all and there definitely have been people doing and saying things that i wouldn't do and say especially in a public forum um i'm sure you understand what i'm what i mean there but um for the most part people are managing um it is an it is an, a difficult situation especially for the elderly here people who aren't very uh, internet savvy or tech savvy, um, they're going, they are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government has, I, I have to say the government has done some impressive things to provide things like food and supplies and, and things like that. It's a difficult situation for a lot of people here. Can I you, have can been you show extremely some of, lucky. Can you show some of the food, by the way? Yeah, yeah. is it possible for me to show pictures yeah okay oh. i get it 
Oh yes, the uh, the screen cap over here. So uh, I think you yeah. can uh, activate that. Yeah, send it to Lev, and then he'll put it on the. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'll um I'll lo load up some pictures in the background then while mm. we're talking, and when when they're there, I can show you. Um, but yeah, I think I, I, mean... I think I may have some over here actually that I uh, that I saved, so I can uh, I can upload them uh, in here. So uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, can you talk a little bit about the deliveries? How that all uh, works? Um, again, that's that's where it reminds me a lot of the the, the Blitz spirit in London in the in the thirties and forties. It's there is rationing, so there's food being provided by the government, and obviously I'm I'm extremely grateful to the 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 government here who have provided us with with these food supplies. But also there's a lot of um, in 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 Britain we would have called them spivs. So these are um, if you think of um, um, Morgan Freeman in prison, he's the guy who can get your stuff. There's a lot of people like that around here. So if you know the right people, if you've got the guangxi, which means, you know, the, the connections, um, you can find someone who can find someone who can get, get you something. Uh, but that's all online. And then there's the group buying. So that means a, a food supplier can send you a food delivery, but he or she can't send a small amount. They can only send you food to your apartment if they can justify the the price. They can they can send you enough to make it worthwhile. So you have to make a like a group with your community, with your neighbors, and then get together and send and have instead of having a loaf of bread sent to you, you have to have six hundred dollars worth of bread sent to you. So you have to make a you have to organize with your uh, with your neighbors and say who wants bread, who wants meat, and we'll put in a bread order, we'll put in a meat order. So um, that's how a lot of food is getting getting its way around Shanghai at the moment. Um, it's easing up quite a lot now. There are some things coming through um, individually, but for a, for a little while, that's how it was happening, and it was it was working. It it, it, it wasn't ideal, but it was working. There, um, not to say there are people who didn't slip through the cracks, um, and there were certainly some individual stories that you can you can look up at your liberty. Um, but yeah, there was a system in place. I'm not sure it was an official system or if it was endorsed, but that's what people were doing. And mm. yeah, it worked. It almost sounds like prison, like in America, the, when prisoners go under lockdown, they, the commissary, they trade and they share. Yeah. Of... Yeah. Well, that, that's what I mean by the, the, uh, Morgan Freeman, Shawshank Redemption comparison. You know, mm. I, I, I know a guy who can get me this. I know a guy who can get me that. Mm. So, now, how does it work being, are you, um, considered a british citizen or a citizen of china or are you just on a work visa like how does that work are oh no i'm, I'm a chinese citizen no i'm i'm british uh, i've been here a few years but uh, there is no chance there's no route at all for me to get permanent residence or or oh, chinese I citizenship see. that that is not an option at all even if i wanted to so if they chose I, so they could deport you if they wanted to if... oh they can deport me tomorrow i am uh, i am a guest in in china very I much see. so, mm -hmm. so um, like, like I, singapore in, in some ways you can't really become a full citizen oh no i mean i i believe it's possible in theory but in practice i don't think that's ever happened i mean oh, i have a, a a friend of mine who's married to locals and yeah he's in he's still in the same situation i am um he could be on a spouse visa but he wouldn't be allowed to work on that visa wow. so um yeah it's there is no Practically speaking, there is no route for permanent residence here for anybody. 
Mm. And uh, when you originally came to China, would you say that uh, money was a pretty big motivator? Like, is is it or well, I mean, I would say was it easier to make money in China than in England or? Why China as opposed to, let's say, Singapore or any of the other uh, countries around East Asia? Yeah, you'll probably hear the same answer from most um, expats, especially in um, in the big cities in China. I mean, my income right now is probably quite similar to somebody in the UK or America doing the same job as me. Um, however, the cost of living is so much lower that... Mm-hmm the amount that I'm able to save is is a little bit higher. Um, plus, you know, it's, I mean, I've fairly well traveled myself. I, I lived in, uh, lived in Japan for a little while before this. Uh, and, um, you know, I was traveling a lot before that. So there is, there is a certain amount of ad- adventure to just going to another country for a while. I'm not sure I was planning on staying here quite as long as I did um, and quite as long as I am. But yeah, just the opportunity to live in a completely alien culture is is quite appealing mm. and, and also the, U, the uk is a tiny little piss pot island in the north atlantic you don't want to be stuck there for long and over here uh, i have a picture of your beautiful dog what's your dog's name by the way uh, that's gibson he's he's asleep right next to me now he was uh-huh. yeah very happy to have mm-hmm. a very early walk this morning is it a nice beagle? what is that yeah he's a beagle Mm, cute is gibson able to get food do you get dog food or are you you just feed him from the what you get well um since you mentioned gibson that is that has been since since this all started that has been my number one worry um again there's aren't there there are some things i i obviously I, i i'm a guest in this country and you don't go into someone's house and complain about the decoration so i'm you know i'm i'm it's not just politically or or legally, I'm reluctant to say certain things about China. Just the fact that I'm a guest here, I, I sh- don't feel that I can speak out mm. too much. But um, my biggest concern since this all started is is Gibson. Um, you know, if if I were to test positive for COVID, I would be sent to a um, a quarantine facility. You know, you can argue whether that's right or wrong if you if you wanted to, but um, I would be sent to a quarantine facility. I wouldn't be able to leave for weeks. What happens to Gibson? And there are horror stories about what happens to other people's dogs in that situation. So that has been my biggest worry since this all started. Are you in communication with any of the neighbors? Maybe some of them would be able to take uh, care of Gibson in case worse comes to worse or vice versa of one of them. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Um, I've got a, a... one of my neighbors, um, uh, an American, actually, he's um, not far from me. He's got two cats and we have a sort of informal agreement that, you know, if you, if you get sent to a quarantine facility, I'll take your cats. And, you know, mm. if I get sent, you can take Gibson. However, um, it's it was so strict here. The very act of picking up a, an item or be it, you know, a dog or a cat or a, or a box and handing it from one person to another would be would be restricted. You know, just receiving a package here, even if you can receive a package, it's going to be disinfected. It's got to be sprayed down. It's got to be hit with UV lights. Um, so it, it's a nice idea, and it makes me feel a little bit better to know that Gibson could be looked after. 
Um, but at the same time, the, the practical side of handing him over or receiving cats to keep them safe, I'm very grateful that we didn't have to test that. Or mm. touch wood, we haven't had to test that yet. Um, but yeah, well, that, well that if, some, if somebody were to if somebody were to do that, would there be some kind of a paperwork, some bureaucratic process they would have to go through? Because okay, for example, let's say in, in a normal situation, there's a family there. You know, the family passes away, and then there's like a dog and the cat. What would happen to that dog and the cat in that situation? Like, would their would their neighbors be able to take care of the animals? Like, I just don't know like how that law works uh, in China. I I'm not uh, not really able to um talk about chinese well, law i don't i don't know enough about it mm. but i will tell you i mean if you go on if you if if google street view was a thing in china you would see a lot of stray animals mm. and as far and, as the uh, yes well i just want to ask about these objects moving on to the next photo uh w what are these over here so these are um cabbages uh, I believe, or yeah cabbage bok choy there was a lot of bok choy, and I think the thing at the bottom there, they were, they're like onions, like spring onions sort Shallots of things. Shallots. Shallots, yeah, that's that's the word I was looking for, yeah. Mm. And, and uh, be before the second one, I know... Uh, ginger, yeah. Ginger. That's half a kilogram of ginger, yeah. I, I'm oh. extremely grateful. Mm. And uh, lastly, over here, we have... Uh, That'll let you that fire was, that ginger. <laughs> yeah, that's six, six, onion, six uh, oranges and a chicken. And again, I, I received everything that you've seen there. Um, I received this for no charge. It just arrived on my doorstep. Some guy in a hazmat suit came and bought these on and dropped them off on my doorstep. Um, mm. So I didn't pay for any of this. Um, and I should say there are people in Shanghai who didn't, who, who might not have received as much as I did. So I, I am extremely lucky and extremely grateful for the the stuff that I've received. I see the, uh, th this is the head, right? Unless I'm mistaken, this is the head of the chicken that I'm looking yep, at that's here. A, that's the chicken's head. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've never had chicken head before. And, uh, what, what, what is the writing over here? Do you know, what does it say? Uh, big, uh, big chicken, I guess. <laughs> big, chicken. big bird. You're, you're, you're killing big bird. All right. Well, Gio, I know you had a question, so. Oh, is it true that, uh, in terms of everything, just ordinary, um, activities in life such as food delivery is it true that everything in china is integrated through their social media system their social credit i think it, what's it called weibo or something like that yeah uh yeah i mean we have uh weibo wechat and um yeah, we alipay and yeah to some extent i'm not sure I, I i think the social credit system i'm i'm not convinced from my perspective i'm not convinced that that's quite as big a bigger thing as we in the West or those in the West make of it. I, I think it was a proposal. I'm not sure that it was ever fully in, in, implemented to the extent that we think it is. Um, but again, that's, I think that's a little bit above my pay grade. I, I don't really know a huge amount or as much as I should about Chinese politics, Chinese history. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I'm just some guy who's stuck in the middle of it at the moment. Mm. And before um, but, before this lockdown, what was life like for you in uh, Shanghai? What was like an average uh, schedule like for you? Oh, Shanghai is a fantastic city. Um, I I really like Shanghai. It's a it's a beautiful city. It's very modern. Everything's quite new. Um, I had a lot of lot of friends here. 
Um, I have a, I was in a couple of bands, so um, you know we 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 had jam nights pretty much at least once a week. Um, it's a very very international city. I don't speak much, if any, Chinese. Which you know, living in China, you'd think that would be a massive handicap, but not really. I mean, it's it's a difficult language. That's my only excuse, but I can survive quite happily here. Or I could survive quite happily here only speaking English.、Mm. Um, Socializing with English speakers or other foreigners, and、um, yeah, just having a great time. The the, the weather's great here.、Um, it's a very convenient. It's it's.、Um, I think I think I think I was a bit spoiled, if I'm honest. Things are so easy here. It, it spoils you.、Uh, what about you know, what about、uh, what about the dating scene? What is that like? Uh, well, I, I, the relationship I'm in, I've been、oh. since long before、right. I was in Shanghai. All right, never,、so. never mind that. Oh well, for、yeah. the people who are single, though, if they were to, if they were to have come there in the past and maybe come there in the future, what would they expect as far as the dating scene goes there?、Uh, you know, like、uh, from friends for, of yours who have, yeah. For、uh, for men,、uh, shooting fish in a barrel comes to mind. Whoa. Is that among just like general like the vibe there, or are you saying that it's more like the、uh, the Chinese、uh, women who are there are interested in you know f- f- foreign men? Like there would be more of an attraction, you know, more of a, I, I don't know more exoticness from foreign men, or not as much in the international city.、Uh, I, you're asking the wrong person there. That's that's not something I'm I'm. I'm very well informed on, but however, it's kind of. I think Shanghai is a bit strange because, yes,、um, it's still China. So yes, I think、uh, foreigners are kind of a bit different, a bit special. It's a bit rebellious to do something like that. But at the same time, of all the cities in China, Shanghai is the most international. So you know, you wouldn't be looked at twice for being a foreigner. I mean, I can go on the busy subway and nobody would look twice at me. However, if I was to go to Harbin or or、uh, Dalian or one of the, the the smaller cities, or if I go slightly slightly west away from the coast, you know, I, I'd get on the subway and everybody would stare at me because I'm foreign.、Mm. So,、uh, but Shanghai is not like that. Shanghai is very international and and always has been. You know, it has a very、mm. international history. So、um, yeah, it's a big mix in that regards. You're not unusual here.、Um, so yeah.、Mm. Kind of reminds me of that movie, and I think it took place in Shanghai, unless I'm mistaken. Called Empire of the Sun.、Uh, have、mm-hmm. you guys seen that one directed by Steven Spielberg? Geo,、uh, uh, I remember yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.、Mm-hmm. So that I remember, there were so many different uh, uh, international buildings there. You know, that looked like right out of England. There wasn't really、Absolutely. that much difference. Well, it's because of、yeah. British colonialism. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's part of Shanghai at the moment called it's called the French Concession, and it's、um, it was. It was the French area, and yeah, you can walk walk around that part of Shanghai, and you could be in Kensington. Wow,、mm. you know, very Georgian ang- architecture.、Um, mm. You know, it's yeah, it's very mixed. I mean, if if not for the red flag on top of the building, it, it could be Westminster or Kensington.、Mm. When did the lease run out? Was it a few years ago or longer? I forget. I, the, I think、yeah. that's、uh, Hong Kong. Oh, sorry, I'm getting confused. Yeah,、mm. yeah, that was 1997. Ted, I had a question. Do you know? Do you know what's happening with the businesses that under this lockdown? How are they faring? Are they are they getting subsidized from the government? Are they are they producing some of this food? Is is there gonna is there some sort of organization there? 
most of the food that is making its way to the people is being produced and sent from outside of Shanghai. Um, okay. As for businesses, um, I can speak. I can only really speak for the foreign businesses, but um, there is a bit of an yeah, exodus at the moment. A okay. huge so, exodus at the moment. So there were, were there's was there a significant significant number of American or, or, or international UK businesses there uh, yes. previously, and now there are they just re relocating because well, of this. Yeah, well, I mean, put it this way. I mean, it, Shanghai is a city of 25 million people. Um, it's, it's, as I said, it's a very large international city. And if you throw a, throw a rock in Shanghai, it will land on a Starbucks, a Burger King, a KFC, a McDonald's, um, foreign businesses. For, they might be Chinese-owned uh, franchises to some extent. But if you understand that for the last 56 days, the whole city has been completely locked down where people can't leave their apartments, people can't leave their communities, people can't go to these businesses. Now, if you've got a, a, a 25 million people city, every single one of these restaurants or franchises, it doesn't matter if it's Starbucks or, or Adidas and Nike, they've been closed. Um, now, I don't know if they're still paying rent for their, for their outlets. I don't know if they're still paying... I assume they must be still be paying um, their salaries for their staff, but they're not receiving oh, any right. custom. So the knock-on effect of that is is something that they're going to have to deal with. Um, and and they, if that oh sorry go ahead if that leaves a bad taste in the mouth of foreign investors, that's that's for smarter smarter people than me to answer. It's interesting because it seems, I mean, based on what I've read, it's, I'm not an expert by any means, but that the, the Chinese were generous enough with some of the companies that came in internationally to subsidize things like offer, you know, extremely good terms for, uh, you know, rent and, and, and land use and things like that. Uh, I wondered if, I was just wondering if they may have made arrangements with those businesses to keep that, to keep that investment in China. I don't know. Again, this is one of the areas where I, I would, you know, if I was if I was sat in Cambridge or back back home and having mm -hmm. this conversation, I could go on for hours. Um, mm -hmm. I I would be interested to see how this resolves, and um, I suspect that these businesses might have. Uh, again, I, I'm I'm being very careful with my words, but I suspect that a lot of these businesses might have Chinese counterparts. Mm. that are very successful in the future. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, and, uh, uh, and I, you. by the way, I, I look forward to having you back, Ted, when uh, you, I, I don't recall how long you said it would take, but when, whenever you're back in England, I would definitely love to have you back for a longer conversation. And uh, we could say this is kind of like a cliffhanger in a way for all the people who are watching. Uh, I look forward to, well, first of all, I want to thank uh, Jude, J-U, from the uh, BTR Discord for uh, recommending you on. And uh, I'm really grateful that we do have a very thriving community in BTR of people who, you know, there's a lot of crazy people online, but at the end of the day, I, I love all of you. I think that regardless of No, you how... don't love. You insult yes, I do. <laughs> most of our audience all the time. But, uh... No, first of all, I insult their views. It doesn't mean that I don't uh, have a well, part of me that appreciates... One last question. No, no, wait, no, 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 Gio, you can't just say that. We don't disagree there because I do insult their views because I think their views are ridiculous, but they're human and beings. And you call them basement dwellers that live with their, 
Well, no, 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 I don't do that. I don't single anybody out calling oh. them Basin Weller. No, but I think that what they're bringing up... Ted, I'm in a basement right now. Wait, like, Ted. better watch it. It doesn't look... Uh, to your credit, it does not look like one. But, uh, Ted, what I'm trying to... Uh, just so you understand what the dynamic here is, is that there are people online right now who don't like a lot of the uh, way things are going, and I don't blame them. And I think that a lot of the things that they're talking about as far as the problems that come from... Uh, you know, this, uh, maybe it's creature comforts, maybe it's just like all the leftist influence, whatever. These are bad things, and these are things that need to be addressed. And there's not a lot of people out there that address them. I think a lot of people who are within this circle do address them. Only problem is that their solutions is fascism. And I'm against fascism, which is why I try to push back at their solutions all the fucking time. But that's just so you understand what the uh, dynamic here is. But not, a, again, for all the hashtag chat harassment, for all the people in the chat, not a lot of people bring up the things you guys bring up. And that is a tip of the hat to you. Don't, don't forget that. But the solutions... Anyway, that's just that's just what I wanted to say right now. Uh, I don't know where Paul went, but uh, anyway, uh, Geo, any final questions uh, for Ted, well, I, and then we're gonna go to super chats. Yeah, one final question. You probably can't speak much on this for obvious reasons, but have you known anyone who has gone through the uh, testing positive for the you know what and has gone through the camp system, or uh, you rather not comment on direct knowledge uh, of that? Yeah. Every, I think everybody in Shanghai probably knows somebody who has gone through it. Um, there are a few foreigners who are quite vocal on Twitter, if you can tolerate going on Twitter to have a look. Um, I think there's one person in particular called, uh, his surname is uh, Leaning, L-E-A-N-I-N-G. Uh, it's a husband and wife. I think they're uh, American or Canadian. I think they went through and took quite a few pictures, which you can get a good look at what these uh, quarantine centers look like inside. Um, you won't hear that uh, from me. Um, but the other thing is you might get a slightly different view depending on who you are. Um, I've heard reports that foreigners are being sent to some of the better ones because of the, the fear of having these pictures leaked out to an international audience. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true or not. Um, but yeah, it, it, it seems very luck of the draw as well. Some of them are not places you'd want to be. Some of them more or less so. Um, but again, in answer to the, the, the thesis of this, this, um, this, this broadcast where, you know, well, East, East, East beat West, it, regardless of how I personally feel about the situation I'm in, it, I have to admit, it, it is impressive what Shanghai has done here. It, you know, if I, if I wasn't sat in the middle of it and if I was um, less charitable, I might look from the outside and say, that is really impressive what you've done here. You've taken 25 million people, told them to sit down, stay in your apartment, don't go out, don't protest do as you're told it's for your own benefit it's for the public health and they did and it worked um and again you you can argue at your leisure how effective you think that might be for combating a a, a virus that 
doesn't have any symptoms and ha- but it's worked the the covid rates in shanghai are falling so regardless of how you feel about the the the, the government here they're able to do something like this and there is no way this would happen in a country that has for example the second amendment you, you imagine trying to do this to atlanta georgia imagine trying to do this in london imagine trying to do this to the people of edinburgh not a chance but they've done it in shanghai and it's worked um yeah it's so unfortunate I, I, that our it's unfortunate our constitution makes our citizens so uncompliant I know it's such a it, it's it's terrible. You need to sort that out. Well, we're working on it. I mean, it, I, I know the current yeah. trends continue. Mm. And uh, what? Uh, last question for me before we get to the super chats. What is the actual mechanism of locking down in terms of? Uh, I recall there were some clips that I saw of actual like locks and chains being on the apartments. Is that something that you know of or have any idea of? Or if not, we can skip that altogether. But. Uh, any, yeah. any idea of how that happens? So it's, uh, again, uh, I have been extremely lucky in, in all of this. I've seen people in much worse situations than I am. Um, I almost feel a bit guilty being the one to talk about this because my situation has been very, very lucky compared to other people. Um, and we, we, talk, we can talk about China as a, as a very, um, very top-down uh, political system, but for here, it's... it's n- it's very uh, decentralized in it's up to the local um, community government or, or community management to determine how the lockdown is enforced. They might have a, uh, a message from the top saying lockdown, and then it's up to them to determine how that has happened. Now, for me, it's just a guard standing at the main gate to my community. So I have a like a gated community. There's a guard at the gate and said, you, you know, you shall not pass. When my building was locked down, there was a they erected a, a temporary tent outside the entrance to the building, and there was a guard sat in the tent. And if you approached the door, he'd tell you to fuck off. Um, now, if I was if I was so determined, I probably could get out of the building. I'd be arrested the next day. Uh, well, I'd be arrested immediately. But you know, it's not it's not a six foot tall electric fence with. Uh, you know, with a guy with a rifle sat on top of it, it, it is just a uh, a barrier. You know, a car a parking lot barrier that's closed. So it's very much a social, um, socially compelled to stay inside, with the consequence of going outside being more severe than the act of stopping you from going outside. However, yes, there are videos out there of buildings being physically bolted shut or welded shut that there are videos out there of, of that happening. Mm. Um, and how many people, say. how many people, uh, are being in charge of by these, uh, uh, committee heads? Like you said, that there were people like local heads, how many people, how many heads, in other words, are they in charge of? Uh, that I couldn't give tell or, you. Well, I, give, again, I, give or I'm take, not talking su- like community or when you say community, like how big is a community? Is it like a, like a small town or I just want to get a better idea of that. Yeah. I I would say it's more like a series of villages dotted around the the city in terms of the number of people. So I I think there's like um, maybe 15 to 20. I'm just looking out my window to count for 15 to 20 uh, 
apartment buildings in my community that is, you know, all clustered together and then fenced off. And then you might have a, a, an office there full of maybe 15 to 20 people who are in charge of that area. And then they get their directions from the from the local government on how to how to deal with it. And it's up to them to determine, you know, are we going to lock these people down by standing at the gate and saying you can't come through? Or are we going to lock these people down by bolting their door shut? Now, it might be that if the people in my community decided not to comply and decided to be a bit more vocal, then they might decide to be a bit more um, aggressive with their with their lockdown. Um, but again, I think in in our community, we've been quite lucky. Um, you know, we can go outside. We just can't leave the leave the immediate area. And I don't think anybody's gotten too grumpy here. Ted, have the authorities been able, have you, how do they message the people? How do they, have they been able to give you any sense of what the metric would be for when this might end? Is there any sense of, uh, do they talk about that or is there any sense of what COVID or sorry, uh, what the, uh, what the certain, uh, problem is here, uh, when, when, the, when it might re relent? There might be, but I'm, you know, I, I don't, I don't read Chinese particularly well. Um, my Chinese is is bare minimum. Um, there might be information out there. If there is, I'm not aware of it. Um, but speaking to my neighbors, mm. we thought we were going to be locked down for maybe five, three to five days. And then, you know, a couple of weeks went by. It's like, okay, maybe it will be a month. And today it's day 56. And I have absolutely no idea how long, how much longer this is going to go on for. Somebody mentioned in the comments here, Moral Outrage Prophet mentioned a drone loudspeaker. Are there any drone loudspeakers? I haven't personally seen any, but I haven't left my apartment in 56 days. Hmm. Um, I have seen videos of them. I've seen a videos and pictures of a lot of things. Um, you, you, you don't have to look very far to find these pictures now. Hmm. It's possible that they were all of these horrible pictures that you might be seeing it's very possible that um that the cia made those pictures and they're putting them up there to discredit this is all very very possible yes. oh yes uh, you know if you were so inclined you could find a lot of um videos pictures statements online about a lot of things you know yeah yes uh, that's it's very hard that's all what i can say about that Yes, exactly. So uh, before we go, Super Chats, here we go. And everybody, I really appreciate everybody being here, watching this. As always, uh, I uh, am very grateful for the ability for us to communicate so far away. Shanghai, you know, like the only way for me to actually see Ted face to face is if I take a shovel right now and just dig down and go through Agartha, oh. spend some time with the Giants and then come back the other, you know, through the other side. But, they won't let you in. Well, I mean, do they have borders? They'll, 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 they'll dig their own ground? tunnel and put up a fence. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, they may have to go through a certain place uh, in, in the West in order to get to Agartha. But, oh, there we go. Look at him. Hey, Gibson. Gibson, how are you? Uh, who is he named after? Is he named after, I don't know, the Gibson guitars or? Gibson banjos. Mm. Oh. Oh, Gibson's adorable. Listen, everybody, add, uh, subscribe right now for the sake of Gibson, for the sake of his beautiful pup. 
Oh, look at that face. That is mm -hmm. adorable. So here we go. And and leave a super chat. Need a super chat for Gibson. So here we go. Michael. No, this is two days ago. Uh, here we go. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. Julian DeChiara. 20 pounds. Howdy, everyone. 20 pounds. Howdy. That's almost $30 American. Exactly. Howdy, Julian. And thank you. Donated $2. Much love. Thank you. Thank you. Croin kicks two dollars. The basement dwellers will rise. And once again, <laughs> I have no, I have no disrespect to the, the mighty, yeah, to the mighty Morlock basin dweller and your weaponized autism. You know, you guys do, <laughs> yeah, 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 you do concentrated Lev, things. Just but... calm down with the copium, Lev. Calm down. You've been, you've, you've been exposed. I mean, <laughs> watch as he records. <laughs> Again, I, I think that there is this tendency to group things into particular categories of my tribe, not my tribe, so on and so forth, which Break the Rules is putting a stop to. And uh, we are going to have a lot of streams coming up with a lot of very interesting guests that I am in talk with right now, including Bastiat. Bastiat should be coming in soon, Gio. Are you ready for that? Are you ready no, for that experience? Yes! Yes, like Geo. Geo, uh, don't today. don't run away with your tail between your legs. You have to be present there and defend defend your uh, ch chudhood. You must. Well, you can't defend against someone who doesn't have any beliefs. But that's. Oh come on, so, come on. That's uh, so, that's our guest you're talking about here. Whoa, what's going on? Oh oh. Well, it's like Destiny, right? If we had Destiny come on, it'd just. Oh well, the never. Man doesn't have any beliefs. No, so, never, you know. never say never, Geo. Listen, things are oh. things are changing, okay? Anyway, Ted, thank you so much for being here. Is there any final thing you would want to say? I know that uh, you were watching the episode. You left a couple of things in the chat, which I did not see, but now I am seeing them. Uh, let's see what well, it was. Cultural relativism. That was at 5.37 p.m. Do you know what that was in reference to? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, I just woke up, so I might have been uh, adding to something that... Uh... Uh, Melissa was saying I can't remember sorry no problem and the second thing is the UK technically has a benevolent dictator who are, are oh yeah you, you um I think Melissa said that living under a, a benevolent dictator would be would be wonderful and uh, I I don't don't completely disagree but um you could say that a monarchy is a kind of benevolent dictator now I'm I, mm. I consider myself a, a republican in the traditional sense not mm -hmm. not in the American sense uh, I, I'd gladly see them uh found more gainful employment um so but it is something to consider i mean any any dictatorship more often than not is a bit more um devolved than a lot of people give them credit for um it doesn't matter if it's uh north korea or or a constitutional monarchy i don't think one individual person is is quite as powerful mm. as uh, as we might believe well, Seraphim Goose over here maybe begs to differ because he has monarchy and then he has the uh, Orthodox crosses, uh, three of them in a row there. So that is that is kind of like the other vibe here, that people want to have all the problems answered by, I mean, I think, uh, Gio, again, I don't want to mischaracterize your views, but I think it's coming from the view of having a more religious uh what is the word for religious government um a, theocracy. theocracy yes so i think a lot of people are in favor of theocracy because they think well, they'll be able to uh the orthodox context it's a difference 
I mean, they they had like the Cesaro papism thing, but that's uh, it's it's kind of complicated when you're talking about specifically Orthodox monarchies because state and church it's like there's yeah they have a well you could, relationship. well you could say russia right now would you call that that kind of uh that kind not of system? fully but that's certainly the civilizational model that they at least pay lip service to yeah well then you understand problems, the though. yeah well that's why i already uh, talked about the problems that i have with that system like i want to be very honest that's the other thing i want to be very honest to the people who are listening i am not going to regardless of what some may think i'm not going to bullshit you i'm going to be very straight up and say when i think your ideas suck and when i think your ideas are great i think the overall problems that we've outlined today that uh, paul you were talking about and melissa was talking about these are very important I don't think either you or Melissa would give up the kind of model that would allow for, again, to use the Thomas Sowell example, somebody like Thomas Sowell to be restricted based on his uh, skin color from going into any particular position. I don't think any of us would be in favor of that. I just think that there are people who would kind of look the other way kind of like you would have, let's say, in, I don't know, Iraq or wherever, uh, somebody look the other way when, like, a gay dude is thrown off, you know, the rooftops. You know, like, people do tend to look the other way as long as certain things they want will be enacted. And that's always been the issue here, because, like Counterpoint said, nobody wants liberalism. You know, everybody is going to want to have their own thing and their guy be in charge of enforcing their own thing. And it's like, that's the shit that I got to deal with, man. Like, what could I say? I see a lot of problems there and I keep harping about it. But that's because it's something worth harping about today. But I don't know, Paul, any any final thoughts on that as well? I want to get your take. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, there's there's politics and there's culture. Um, and um, I was the saying about uh, politics downstream of culture, but then culture is downstream of something else. Uh, culture is, I think, is downstream of uh, a certain type of, like, I don't know how to put it, but some kind of essential id, some cultural uh, principle, morality, religion, theocracy, you know, yeah. you can't get a theocracy without a jihad, but I don't think anyone's calling for that. But some kind of revivification of the uh, the essential sense of identity, right? And this is why this is where I give the woke credit because they know that identity is the platform, and that's what they're working on. And they're working at the they're working at that operating system level of our society. And we need a way to essentially get a get an OS upgrade mm. um, from this this whatever new Coke we've been we've been yeah. asked to, to drink out of. Um, I don't Ooh, think that tyranny cat, or, cat or totalitarianism is the way to go. Um, and uh, but I think it's going to take a lot of effort mm. and, um, you know, yeah. time. Well, one final thing. There is no there is no conceivable notion in my head that anybody, including myself, would ever live for the sake of liberalism. Liberalism is not what you live for the sake of. It's the system yeah. that you live yeah. in, but it should never be any kind of religion. So for the people for who that is the sum total of all existence, that is just for the sake of being you know, liberal, that, that's, that's no, that's bullshit. There's more to life. I think, I think that there are people that are trying to make it a religion, like FAIR, for example. The whole pro-human thing is an attempt to, to sort of uh, you know, extract that liberalism and give it a spiritual patina, right? But, it, but I don't think it's going to work. 
I don't know if that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, that seems to be on the surface. What I think is going on, that, like, that deeper... That just evolves into self-help cultism. Yeah, no, what, what I think is going on deeper Human is that that is... movement, that type of stuff. Well, yeah, well, FAIR, Fair presents that in the surface, but what I think is way more important is the kind of work that they are doing where they're actually helping people out of the binds that they're in. I don't think it's up to FAIR or any other organization to be able to give people a path forward. I think that FAIR primarily exists for a lot of the people right now who are on the fence who have people in their lives that they meet on a regular basis in new york city and other places like that that uh have a lot of this woke mentality and they're kind of stuck they don't know who to reach out no, to and right i think that. that that's a good organization for that i don't expect fair or any other organization to ever stand in for a higher calling nor should they that's like a whole other thing what i hope to do in the future is be able to get this higher calling into people without having what I see is because this is this is the other thing I think in general the big disagreement with me and Geo is that it's not that I think the dictator will come in and the dictator will restore a lot of the things that Geo and others would prefer the dictator restore I think that's what you think will happen what I think will happen is I dictator will come I in and, and will ruin and will ruin everything will turn everything to shit that's why Lev, I don't listen, want... Listen, Lev, if you were around in the 70s, you'd be lecturing at the Eastland Institute in a, in a group circle taking uh, funny <laughs> substances like Terrence McKenna. Geo. By the way, it was run by the CIA. But Geo, 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 Geo. The straw men are flying around. I don't know. There's a lot of... You, you forget that I was the guy who was against psychedelics in that conversation no, true, or in a previous true, conversation. True. So... But Don't... speaking of things that were funded by the CIA, Eastland Institute was a CIA. Yeah. No, no. I am... New Age movement was controlled by the globe. Sure. And again, and that's so... why I'm not a big fan of the New Age movement. I'm not a big fan of a lot of these movements. What I am a fan of is people seeking enlightenment within the, within the self without any of these external substances and without getting it so hippified. I think the New Age movement, like, you know, all of this, all of this uh, stuff, it's too... It's too sparkly warkly. You know, it's too fairy dust. There's just something woo -woo. about it that yeah, woo. Well, it's a big turnoff. What I think is much more exciting is for people to do their own research on what the potentialities are of the human body. I think somebody like Wim Hof is a much better even though he was on that show with what's that lady? You know who I'm talking about? Goop. Goop, who is that? Oh, that? Um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh. <laughs> yes, Gwyneth Paltrow, exactly. So that kind of, you know, John Tron did a video. He put Wim Hof's face on it, making like, uh, like an O face. But anyway, uh, it's a good video, by the way. I'm a fan of John Tron. Uh, so the point is, though, that there are people out there like, I'd say Joe Rogan, too, because Joe Rogan, he kind of introduced Wim Hof to the, uh, to the masses. There are people out there that are kind of like on the woo scale for certain things, but they approach it along with this understanding that a lot of, uh, especially a lot of men today, are seeking answers to what the hell is going on here, and they want to be part of some kind of a tradition, and they want it to matter. There is too much information out there. This is why I'm not really a part of any particular church. There is too many contradictions in terms of the actual exoteric practices but as far as the stuff that's going on inside there i could see certain things repeating but anyway that's enough for today thank you guys so much for watching be sure to subscribe thank you so much for all the super chat people the current king of the super chat by the way is julian deciara 
with 2472. Thank you so much, Julian. Congratulations on being king of the Super Chat today. Everybody, don't forget, patreon.com slash break the rules. If we want to have more of these conversations with these wonderful people that uh, we're uh, building, we're all building these uh, things up here, patreon.com slash break the rules is where you go. If you are a fan of wooden magnets, have I got a, have I got a deal for you? If you become a patron for $5, you are not going to get the wooden magnets, but that's okay because what you are going to get is the uh, episodes after they come out in MP3 form. You're going to get special Patreon-only episodes, uh, Patreon-only streams, or you get to participate as the patron. And when the wood magnets do come in, though, is when you become a $20 member, you are going to get very beautiful wooden magnets crafted by my father, Alexander Polyakov, who is a wonderful artist, one of my one of my heroes. I mean, I guess it's kind of corny to say that your dad is your hero, but whatever, I don't care. So my dad is definitely my hero, and he'll be your hero. And yeah, let's hit those 10K subs, because right now, BTR is currently at, uh, let's see, where where is BTR over here? BTR is at 9,526. That is pathetic. Do better. Do better. Uh, 27. Do better. I just subscribed. Yes. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. That's the energy we need. So listen, follow Ted's lead and subscribe. I hope Gibson subscribes as well. They should have like a separate YouTube for dogs. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Segregating the YouTube like for the dogs. I think mean, you know, like they have a kids YouTube. Well, they do have like videos for cats. Cat TV. My cat Steve is a big fan of cat TV. You know, they just show like the mice and the birds flying. Yeah, I think think they have like a lot of dogs <laughs> you, know, you know what we should do like instead of showing like the elsa gate stuff to little kids you know when you give them my ipad just give, them oh, cat, give them give them cat tv have like the four-year-old oh man I'm that a is happier when i just watch cat videos like <laughs> it's much better than watching anything else <laughs> well this yeah. is well this is not exactly cat videos this is videos for cats this is videos for the cats you know this is videos like little mice cat, go, yeah i know yeah. <laughs> but I, we watch cat videos that's our little cat tv is is watching cats yeah so everyone's watching each other and everyone's happy well, well that's like well that's like the higher tier you got to earn that tier you got to better oh, yeah. get a better grade for that tier so what you have to do first is the kids like if you were if you went back in the grace academy what you should first do is just sit down and put like one of those classic vcr tvs you remember those i don't know if they have those anymore oh, in the schools <laughs> you know the ones that you would I'm sure it'll in. be some art project <laughs> i was betamax because betamax was better technology okay <laughs> No, well, you are you are more of an alpha than a beta max type of guy, Paul. Yeah, but anyway, alpha max. Thanks yes, you. exactly. But anyway, Thanks you should just validation. put on you should just put on like a live. Thanks for feed. playing to my vanity. You're welcome. You should right. put on a live feed of cat TV. Yeah, there'll be, be a room. be a room full of screens with nothing but cats. Be like it's a good thing you're not a teacher. Okay. That's all so the kids are the kids are very much better off without you left. But, uh, oh, gonna, don't say uh, that. That is so cruel. Felted. No, cat TV. Cat TV would be much better than okay. the critical race theory. Okay, we uh, gotta agree on that. Okay, but what is that bar? That bar is like, <laughs> you know. Okay, you're right. It would be better than critical. It would be better than critical race. Theory. All right, let's yeah. end the screen. <laughs> <You> <laughs>
<laughs> okay, well, now first I gotta show the magnets, oh. but anyway. <laughs> yeah, anyway. let's see these magnets. What are, these? are they yeah, actually the... made out of wood? Yes, they are oh, actually they are actually made out of wood. So, uh, uh, Paul, you remember my father? He did the um, he did that beautiful picture of you and Sticks riding the roller yeah, coaster. Yeah, that was that was the best. That was the best uh, like promotional art I've ever gotten. Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, it was a very nice, yeah. uh, very nice picture. But uh, my dad also does very beautiful wooden crafts. And here I'm going to show you some of the uh, magnets that I have over here. I just have to go into the uh, BTR uh, BTR Patreon over here. And uh, just so you know, these are state of the art magnets made out of high quality wood. Here, I'm putting one on one of those little screens that I have the uh, chicken head on, so you could see what I'm talking about. Okay, now let me. You guys could see it right now. Let me just change oh, cool. the uh, the screen here so that the people in the uh, people in the chat could see it as well. So yeah, everybody subscribe patreoncom rules. Here it is. Okay, here it is. I'm going to zoom out a little right now so you could see it a little better. But yeah, you could see the magnets here, high quality maple, mahogany, ashwood, cherry. You know, this is a nice looking moth over here. This is made in honor of Brittany Venti. And now I'm also going to show you the uh, geo print. So if I uh, go in here to uh, look at the uh, print, this is for the $30 patron. So check this out. This is Geo drawing, uh, not drawing, printmaking in slow motion and fast motion from the TFW OGF series. So be sure to check it out. It's a great, it's a great print. And uh, that's for $30. For $50, you guys, you lucky, you lucky sons of guns are going to get, if you're a fan of Six Hex and Hammer 666, uh, you're going to get this very beautiful uh, Styx uh, Hexen sculpture over here based on his Ouroboros design. And if you uh, are not a fan of Styx but want something special, you are going to get a custom magnet. Whatever design you want, you are going to get, and you are going to love it long time like they see in Vietnam. Anyway, thank you guys so much for watching. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul Rossi. Thank you, Ted. Thank you, Gio. And a big round of applause and thanks for Melissa Chen. I really appreciate Melissa coming in here. This is the beginning, I think, of a beautiful friendship and getting all these people together, figuring out how we can solve these problems, pointing out the bad, pointing out the good. Thank you guys so much for watching. Be sure to subscribe. Mwah! Good night, everybody. God bless. Thank you, and Goodbye. Bye,